Amen. And that's what we do. We are purposely, intentionally, intensely trying to share this gospel to the ends of this earth. This month I will be preaching on the theme of thanksgiving, and I've entitled it Thanksgiving, because thanksgiving shouldn't just be a month or a day or a season. It should be a way of life. It should be something that you and I as believers in Jesus Christ experience every moment of every day of every life. In everything the Bible says, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So along those lines, I want you to explore this young lady who is probably one of the most thankful people that we will see in the Scriptures. Stand with me, if you will, as we read Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. The Bible says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and inclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. Well, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, Simon said. Two people, Jesus said, owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Well, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, So do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time that I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven, little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Our most gracious Father, we thank you for this day, for this blessing, for this moment that you've given us to worship you, Father, in spirit and in truth. We thank you, Lord God, for your only begotten Son, who came into this world to demonstrate exactly what love is all about. The depths of it is something that we try to plumb and yet can never comprehend fully. Father, thank you. Impart your word to us today. Lord, may we receive it gladly. 
may we act on it faithfully. And Lord, may we always bring joy to you and blessings to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Well, we have an interesting passage here. Luke is very descriptive. One uh, author said, it's as though Luke were an artist and were drawing such a beautiful, poignant picture for each and every one of us to see. We have right here the setting. We see that it is Simon's house. Simon is a Pharisee. We'll talk about him in just a minute. But in these houses, the way that they were configured for the upper echelon of society, for the more well-to-do financially individuals, the homes were built around an inner courtyard. And this inner courtyard would either uh, be one of gardens or fountains or both. And so this courtyard uh, would facilitate people who could come in, either invited, some of them came in uninvited, uh, but they could hang around during banquets and special occasions just to catch a glimpse of the VIPs that might be entering. Some could actually enter into the courtyards and listen to rabbis or teachers, prophets, as they would begin to extol their wisdom to the crowds that were there gathered. And so they could come in and listen to the different uh, uh, philosophies, if you will, or different uh, words that were being spoken by these men of Nome. They could enter the banquet hall or the courtyard because it was open to the public. And the Bible says that Jesus reclined at a table in those, in, area, in those days. It was common practice throughout the Roman Empire as well that instead of having tables that you uh, literally had chairs next to, instead of chairs, these tables were low. These couches that they reclined on were very low and to the ground. And they would literally recline. They would prop themselves up with their left elbow and they would eat their food with their right hand. And they would extend their legs behind themselves as they reclined. And uh, their shoes would, their sandals would be left at the doorway. So here was Jesus reclining at this table. This is how this woman could come and stand at his feet. And so you see the scene, the setting. And in Simon's house, he had all these other people invited, these other guests of honor that uh, would come and listen to Jesus. Why he invited Jesus, I have no idea. We're not given a hint. But this Simon, as you look at two prominent characters other than Jesus, you see Simon and you see this woman. And then, of course, Jesus figures prominently in this picture. Well, let's talk a little bit about the sinners. Simon, he's a Pharisee. The Bible identifies him that way. This Pharisee in Hebrew means the separated one. It's one who considered himself above the average believer because he was obedient to the law as he interpreted it. Felt himself pretty uh, above sin even. Sinless, if you will. 
he was one that was, uh, this Simon was obviously a collector of celebrities. We don't know why he invited Jesus. Did he invite him because he was a rabbi? He referred to him as rabbi. But I don't think he really acknowledged him as a teacher. Why do I say that? Because Jesus, after he gave this story, told Simon, you know, the common courtesy among hosts in that day was to invite somebody in, a, a rabbi, a teacher. And when that person entered your house, the common courtesy of the homeowner was to plant a kiss on the cheek or the forehead of that particular guest. And then they would have their servants take these sandals because the roads were dusty and their, their feet were dusty. And a servant would come and wash their feet and take their, remove their sandals from their feet and leave them there at the doorway normally when they entered a house. And then he would take either the, uh, some kind of an oil, a sweet-smelling incense, and take that and put it on that person's head to make the room smell much better. After all, these were travelers. They were sweaty. They were hot. It was a hot, dry, dusty, sweaty region. And so these were three common practices of hostess, of host in that day. Well, then we see this woman who happened in. The Bible says she found out, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She came there. But look what it says. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. You need to have that translated? She was a prostitute. You have to wonder if some of those men that were in there at the time were part of her paying customers. But nevertheless, it's amazing that she even came in because women did not eat out in public, much less have contact with men. Pharisees, Jewish men, did not have any contact at all with women who weren't their wives, especially in public. And they never certainly ate with them in public. This was something that I'm sure when she entered that door, she caught everybody's attention. Can you just imagine the scene? No wonder they all began to think among themselves. Jesus knew what the thoughts were. He heard their hearts as they said, if he only knew what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Wow. Now she is not to be confused with the woman in John 12, nor she can be confused with Mary Magdala. She's a different person, a different woman. Why did she come to that house? Why would she put herself in that kind of denigration, in that kind of abuse, knowing that these men, these Pharisees, these high religious individuals would think so poorly of her to begin with, much less have no association with her whatsoever in public. Yet, she just threw off all immodesty. She would not be welcomed. She was not welcomed in Simon's house. Well, maybe she responded to Jesus earlier. 
Maybe it was a setting where Jesus had been walking along with the disciples along the way and was talking to them out of parables or, or maybe he was talking to them about the cost of discipleship. Whatever he said, it must have reached down into the depths of her heart to the extent that she was willing to risk all and throw off all abandonment whatsoever to come in to be close to Jesus. Well, as a known sinner, she unbound her hair. She didn't know what else to do. The Bible says she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Every woman had one of those. But when that alabaster jar was broken open and poured out, there was no, nothing left. And it was something that she was willing to give everything she had to Jesus. And to unbind her hair in public, in that culture of that day, a woman's hair was bound when she married and was never unbound publicly. But she just threw off all bounds of immodesty. When a woman was married, she never loosed it again. Well, and the Bible says that her tears uh, wet his feet. And then she wiped them with her hair. Can you picture that? She's down there and the men are aghast. They're completely stunned by this act, by this woman who is not welcomed. Not only was she not welcomed, but she had history. There was an asterisk by her name as far as they were concerned. Well, her sins were known. Simon, I have something to tell you. And then Jesus said, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii. A denarii was a day's wage. So one man in this story owed 500 days wages. The other man owned, owed 50 days wages. So who would be the most forgiven by this debtor? Of course, you know. It's obvious. Jesus expected the obvious answer, and he got it. But then Jesus said, he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time that I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour put oil on my head but she has poured perfume on my feet therefore I tell you her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown hmm her sins were known Simon's were secret you ever have secret sins of course you do we have we have these little uh, charts that we tend, if we're not careful, to put people on. We've got, the, we've got the sins of commission, which she committed. Because she was guilty of sins of commission. People knew what she did. Her sins of the flesh were well known. She was a street person. She was a well-known hooker. But then there's Simon. His were the sins of omission, 
He was not a good host. His sins were the sins of the Spirit, as spiritual sins. His, his were sins of pride, sins of arrogance, sins of lack of forgiveness, and so forth. And he was not forgiven because he never saw himself. Because you see, Simon's problem was one of blindness. He could not see himself for what he really was, nor could he see Jesus nor this woman for what they really are. You see, Simon saw her past, and Jesus saw her future. You ever have that in your life? You come in contact with people, maybe you're one of those, I am, where Satan, the enemy, is constantly reminding you of who you have been, what your past has been, who you are like as far as being synonymous with some dreadful sinner. And yet Jesus is on the other ear saying, but let me tell you, by faith in me, what you have become and what you will be. Jesus sees our potential. Satan sees only our misgivings, our sins. Satan is reminding you of who you have been. Jesus wants to remind you of what you can be, potentially by faith in Jesus Christ. Her sins were forgiven. Simon's sins were not forgiven as a result. But I want you to look at something that Jesus said in verse 50. They were saying to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Obviously, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, if I were him, I would have just looked at him and went, duh. <laughs> but he didn't, because he's Jesus. But Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Your faith alone has saved you. Now, godly sorrow worketh salvation, the Bible says. But don't misconstrue tears for salvation. There are people in jails and prisons all over this world who are sorry. They're not sorry for their actions. They're sorry they were caught. So just because you're sorry for what you've done, or you have tears for what you've done, that's not sufficient. Jesus is saying, it's not your tears. It's not even the fact that you gave everything that you had for me. There are people worldwide, too, through their religious pursuits, that believe if they give everything they have to their gods or God, that'll warrant salvation for all eternity. No. What did Jesus say? It's your faith. Your faith has saved you. We're not saved by faith plus works. We are saved by a faith that works. There's a big difference there are so many people today, not only in, in Christianity, but through other religious pursuits, who believe, I've got to do these number of things in order to be accepted by my God. Jesus said, it's faith alone. 
We are saved by faith, not by works. Grace is love that paid a price. Galatians 5, 6 says, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not of works, lest any of us should boast about it. Then verse 10 says, We are His workmanship created unto good works that Christ has before ordained that we should walk in these good works. Wow. So we're not, we're not saved by works. We're saved with a faith that works. There's all the difference in the world, folks. Now, you may be here today or you may be listening online. And you've been thinking, but there's so many things I need to do. There's so much I need to, to pay. There, there, just, there's just a whole litany of, of checklists that I've got to take care of before I come to the Lord. No, you come just as you are, without one plea. But that thou blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? You see, to me, the miracle of salvation is the greatest miracle of all. There is no miracle that can come close to the miracle of salvation. Because when Jesus comes into a person's life, He changes them from the inside out, not from the outside in. And not only does He change them from the inside out and grants that we have in a life abundant, but guess what? It goes for all eternity. It's a miracle that lasts into and throughout eternity. So try that. Your illusionists, your magicians can't comprehend something like that. This miracle is a transformation that can only take place by faith in Jesus Christ. So get that. Jesus says your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Nothing else, not your tears, not your actions. It's not how good you are. It's your faith in Jesus Christ. It's not whether your name is on the, the rolls of a church. It's not whether you have walked forward to be baptized. It is your faith in Jesus Christ that has saved you. Jesus put it succinctly. Don't overlook it. And then what does he say? Go in peace. Wow. You think this woman had peace up until that point? No. None. I've talked to so many people over the years that, whose lives are so chaotic. Their marriages are chaotic. They're, they're raising their children is chaotic. Uh, being around their, their parents is chaotic. Their work environment is chaotic. Their, even their social life is chaotic. But Jesus says, when you place your faith in Him, you go in peace. Now Romans 5.1 puts it this way, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And all over the world, there is chaos occurring. But this kind of peace is not the absence of chaos. 
It's the presence of an inner tranquility, an inner peace that comes to you in the face, in the, right in the heart of chaos. You're able to keep your head above yours. Jesus says, I give, my peace I give, not as the world gives. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus said. You want that kind of peace that, that passes all understanding, that surpasses anything that you and I can comprehend? That kind of peace that, that just has that, that assurance that God is in control, that He will make the best of every situation. Go in peace. I'm sure she rose from that time probably with her head held high smiled at those who were scoffing at her because they had no peace they were so full of religion that they were useless to most people they had no peace but she did because she had Jesus do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior you're here this morning, maybe you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you're looking forward to uh, publicly acknowledging Him. Maybe you're looking for church membership. I know of no other church family that I would rather be a part of than this one. So let me encourage you, during this invitation, if you'll come forward, I'll pray with you about your decision, and we'll let the Lord take it from there. Would you stand with us as we sing the hymn of invitation?